The following podcast is sponsored by the IFF Financial Corporation in special recognition of Firefighters and Cancer Awareness Month. Welcome to the IAFF Podcast. I'm Noel Lilly, and I am your guest host for this very important Firefighter Cancer Awareness Month. The IAFF has teamed up with the Firefighter Cancer Support Network to bring you a ton of new information around prevention, treatment, research, and cultural changes around cancer in the fire service. In this episode, we're focusing on research, and we are talking with Derek Irwin and Dr. Jeff Burgess. Derek, why don't you give us a little bit of a background on who you are and what you are working on right now? Yeah, so Derek Irwin, Director of Science and Research at the IFF. A firefighter for about 15 years serving with Miami-Dade and LA County Fire when we came on together in the 131st Knoll. That's right. Yeah, good to see you again. Been too long. And my goal is to do something about the elevated incidence of cancer in the fire service. And to that end, we've been working in collaboration with academic researchers around the country, including Jeff, to hopefully put a dent in those numbers. Sounds good. And uh, Dr. Burgess, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. I'm Currently, the Associate Dean for Research at the University of Arizona Zuckerman College of Public Health. But previously, I worked as an emergency physician, medical toxicologist, and occupational physician. I've been working in partnership with firefighters on research projects for almost 30 years now. Very good. So let's just jump right into it. What is the Firefighter Cancer Cohort Study? Why was it created? And what does it do? The Firefighter Cancer Cohort Study is a multi-center, in other words, involves multiple departments. Prospective, which means looking forward. Cohort, which is a group uh, study of firefighters. So it's meant to understand why firefighters uh, have an increased rate of cancer and what we can do about it. So it, it involves bringing in firefighters as soon as new recruits, but, you know, through incumbents and then following them forward over time. Uh, we collect information from surveys. Uh, we also collect blood and urine and analyze those. How many participants do you have in this cohort right now? Right now we have over 2,000. We should have over 2,500 uh, hopefully within a year, we're aiming to get up to 10,000. The, the number, the larger number of 10,000 is designed so that we can look at cancers that are a little bit less common than some of the others. So things like brain cancer, for example, are less common than colorectal cancer or lung cancer. Uh, we have over 30 fire departments right now across the country participating in the various parts of it. So there's there's the big umbrella, which is the firefighter cancer cohort study. And then there's a bunch of smaller studies, uh, generally funded by FEMA for about three years that look at different groups. For example, we have a study on women firefighters. We have another one on airport firefighters in the PFOS or per and polyfluoroalkyl substances. Uh, another one that's uh, focusing that just started on wildland firefighters. And then we have others that have been looking at individual firefighter groups like trainers or investigators. So you're getting in depth in all the different types of exposure that might be out there, not just one blanket study. Exactly. Yeah. Each study has its own components. So, uh, for example, for the PFOS study, obviously, we're, you know, we're looking at these current polyfluoroalkyl substances and 
with a heavy focus on AFFF exposure. Whereas in the women's study, we are not just looking at cancer risk, but we're also looking at reproductive health risks and also mental health. Can you break down those two terms you just used, AFFF and I can't even reproduce the other one that you said? What, is, what do those mean for the layperson like me? Yeah. Um, so from the perspective of these per and polyfluoroalkyl substances or PFOS, you know, they are components of they these chemicals are used for different purposes. Um, the a big use in for firefighters is for this mil spec uh, AFFF aqueous film forming foam uh, that are used for you know, liquid fuel fires. So you'll see them at petrochemical facilities. You'll see them particularly at airports. And in fact, it's been required for the uh, for the airport fire departments to use the AFFF that has the PFOS chemicals in it. So firefighters are exposed to it from that source. They're also uh, exposed to it potentially from their gear. We know that the PFOS is in the firefighter's gear but we don't know the extent to which it moves from the gear to the firefighter. So that's one, that's a question that we're looking at. We also all get it, even if we're not firefighters, from just things that we're exposed to uh, in everyday life, like um, uh, stain-resistant coatings or, or grease-resistant coatings on takeout food boxes, for example, or some types of dental floss. So all of these, you know, we're, we want to know the extent to which in that particular study, how these PFOS exposures are, are getting into firefighters and what effects they have. So what other kind of research apart from surveys is involved in this cohort? Are you doing anything else or is it strictly survey-based? No, we, we do surveys and we collect blood and urine. Uh, we also can collect you know, other biological samples that, that as needed. So the project, each project is based on questions from the fire service. So if a particular group of firefighters wants a certain type of information, that's what we propose to FEMA for each of these studies. And then hopefully, you know, FEMA funds it, which they have so far for a number of these. But working with folks such as Derek, you know, if he has particular questions or his department, we make sure that we collect the information for to answer those questions. Yeah, if, if I could just on that one, Noel, that's one of the things that's so unique about the firefighter cancer cohort study is that the research directions really are driven by questions from the fire service. So, you know, we all sit down at the kitchen table at the end of the day and, and you know, after dinner and, and have our chats about the things that, that we worry about. And Dr. Burgess and, and his research partners um, are just eager to hear uh, our concerns and then and then address those with actual research projects insofar as looking at biomarkers of exposure and, and biomarkers of effect, you know, which uh, is why they collect blood and urine samples uh, as part of the study. Yeah, that's fascinating. I don't know if I'm ignorant on this, but I do feel like I have heard and been told in my short time in the fire service that the wildland stuff is not as dangerous or maybe even not dangerous at all because it's quote unquote clean. Um clean materials that are burning, you know, it's just, it's just grass and just wood and whatever it may be. But I'm assuming that that is not correct. Yeah, I definitely not correct. I mean, anytime you have products of incomplete combustion, uh, you know, you're going to be exposed to chemical carcinogens, whether that's at an industrial fire or out in the brush. And, you know, that's, that's the whole purpose of our 
our wildland urban interface component of the firefighter cancer cohort study was to actually quantify those exposures and subsequently quantify the impact that they have on our health. And, and I'll let Dr. Burgess elaborate from there. Yeah, so, so for both the, the wildland urban interface or WUI study that was funded by NIOSH and the new wildland firefighter study that was uh, funded by FEMA, you know, we are collecting information about exposure. So we're, we'll, we've been measuring some products of combustion, the polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons. So those are all PAHs. Those are present in any type of fire. So if you burn vegetation, you'll find PAHs. If you burn structures, you'll find them. So we'll get, you know, idea about how, what the level of exposure is in each setting. So firefighting is a whole bunch of different steps and you're going to get different levels of exposure in the different things you do. So we want to provide that information uh, to the firefighters. In addition, though, you have to realize that these PHs are only one set of chemicals out of a huge chemical soup that firefighters are exposed to. And honestly, we don't know what the effects of many of these chemicals are. So we're doing some various other studies to try to figure out, you know, what else are firefighters being exposed to that gets inside of their body that has these toxic effects. So that's kind of a, a whole separate body of research that we can you know, talk about if we have time or some other time. But as, as Derek had mentioned, you know, what's really important too is not just what you're exposed to, but what is, what is it doing to you? And one of the reasons that we really care about, well, we have many reasons we care about why, how those chemicals cause a disease, like for example, cancer. You know, one of the things, one of the important things is we, we want to know what's causing the effect. So if we're looking and we see that you're exposed to a certain type of set of chemicals and you're not seeing a change that would lead to cancer, well, then you, you should be focusing on other exposures instead. So that's one thing. The other thing that you can do with these, these biomarkers of effect, you know, once the chemical interacts with the cell in the body, it produces something that's toxic. We can use those also to support workers' compensation claims. Um, for example, in the state of Arizona, we've used the information that we have about both the exposures and the effects of these exposures to expand our cancer presumptive law in the state. So it's a big deal for the firefighters here. Furthermore, prior to our studies, we didn't really know how these exposures caused cancer. And that actually went all the way up to an international level. So there's an organization called IARC, International Agency for Research on Cancer. They reviewed firefighting before, and they only found that it was possibly related to cancer. And one of the reasons why was because they didn't know how the exposures led to cancer. And some of the work that we've done, working in collaboration with Derek and other firefighters and other uh, fire departments across the country, uh, is to show that you get changes in gene expression through these things called epigenetic changes. And because of that information that we've now published, IARC is going to review firefighting again in June of next year. There have been some great epidemiologic studies like uh, the ones in, in uh, San Francisco, Chicago, and Philadelphia, et cetera, that have provided additional information supporting the link between firefighting and cancer. So we're not the only thing but we're part of that bigger whole. So when you're working on studying something like that, it sounds like you are almost starting at the ground floor trying to determine where you can detect these markers being changed. 
how do you start in a process like that? And in that process, do you have to have data? Like, would you have to have my blood sample, for example, before I became a fireman and then after I was exposed? Or are there other ways around that? What we do is firefighters are consented into the study. And then at that point, they collect a, a baseline blood and urine sample, right? And that together in the enrollment process is, is really the starting point. Right. And then say several months later, those study participants start going out on uh, strike teams and fighting fire out in the brush. After those strike team assignments, we can go out there, collect a urine sample. And that urine sample is what's used to look at biomarkers of exposure. So like Jeff was explaining, you know, figuring out what chemicals got into your body. And then you follow up with blood samples down the line where you can start looking for those cancer promoting epigenetic changes. So it's not necessarily that you're looking just for the bad stuff in your system, but you're actually really looking for, is that affecting your system and using that as proof of these are affecting you and this is, this is why, or is that too simple? No, that's entirely correct. And let me give an example of some of the things we've done with Tucson Fire Department, because these different biomarkers answer different questions. We started working with Tucson Fire when Tom Kesnell one of their fire cause investigators died of leukemia. Now, it's, it was a presumptive cancer in the state of Arizona at the time. It should have been an open and shut case, right? I mean, we have, we have a cancer that's known to be associated with, uh, with firefighting. We, we know that there's benzene exposure to fire scene and that firefighters are exposed to that. So it really was a straightforward case. But unfortunately, like so many of these workers' compensation cases, it got denied. And so therefore, that he was unable to access the type of care that he could have gotten if the workers' compensation claim had been accepted. I mean, it gives you a lot more options uh, in terms of treatment. Um, at the same time, you know, he's fighting cancer and he's fighting his claim. It was unfortunately only accepted after he died. Uh, so I kind of a, a bad you know, situation all around. So really that motivated Tucson Fire Department to say, you know, we can't let this happen and we have to we have to know where exposures are occurring. We have to know how they're hurting people so that we can use this information to support the workers' compensation claims. And we need to do something about it too, right? We need to reduce it and prevent these things from happening. So starting with the where people are being exposed, they decided to look, uh, they wanted us to look at fire ground exposures. So we looked at everybody. Uh, we looked at not just the firefighters and the captains that went into the fires, but we also looked at the engineers and the paramedics that were, you know, working outside of the structure itself, right, in their usual roles. And we found that everybody was exposed. So that was a bit of a surprise. We thought, you know, it was the, the guys going into the fire, um, probably both, you know, predominantly through maybe dermal exposure because they're wearing their SCBAs and doing what they're supposed to be doing. But because... For example, the engineers were being exposed. We knew that there was a source and we figured it was inhalation. So that, first of all, they knew they needed to do something about it. Um, and what they actually ended up doing was, among other things, they did, you know, entry team wash down. Uh, they put their engineers on air. They had them wear SCBA. And we were able to look and see the difference that those interventions made in the amount of chemicals that got into their urine. And in both cases, the washdown and the other associated things like clean cab, et cetera, taking a shower quickly for the entry teams reduced their exposures by about a third 
And the engineers on air, the same thing. It reduced our exposures, I think, in that case, by about 40%. So we were able, to, using these biomarkers of exposure, to identify where they were being exposed and to look at interventions that could be effective. Now, from the perspective of these biomarkers of effect, those were the ones that I mentioned to you that were used to expand the workers' compensation laws in the state of Arizona. And you know, you you can figure out now between the exposure and cancer what that intermediate step is. And that one for cancer, one of the really important things is this latency period between exposure and onset of the disease. That's called a latency period. That can be anywhere between three years for some forms of leukemia and over 30 years for some forms of lung cancer. And you want to be able to make sure that what you're doing is effective well before the onset of cancer. So you don't want to wait 30 or, or more years to see if what you're doing is the right thing. So that's another use of these things as well. Yeah. Just to, I guess, add on to what Jeff's getting at here with uh, latency periods. It's something that I think a lot of times we don't quite understand or, or really take for granted as firefighters, right? Because you go to a fire, you fight fire, you do your job, you come out, you're covered in soot and you get cleaned up. And then afterwards, you know, maybe you have a headache, but you feel fine, right? You go on about your daily life and you forget about that fire. You forget about those exposures. But the thing is, you know, you don't end up with cancer 30 years later because of something, not necessarily because of something that happened just a few months before that. It's kind of the sum total of everything that you're exposed to over the duration of your 30-year career. I've heard Jeff explain it a number of times, like, you know, a cancer develops after all the wrong switches get flipped, and then that eventually leads to a cancer. Another way you can think of it is like drops in a bucket, right? Like if you were to put a bucket underneath a leaky faucet, a slowly leaking faucet, and come back to it, you know, several hours later, it'll still look like the bucket's nowhere near full because it's just filling one drop at a time. But if you stop paying attention to that bucket and forget the fact that it's slowly filling and then look back a long time later, eventually it's overflowing. Well, I think, again, that the important point here, I'm trying to get back to Noel's question of, you know, uh, what could, what can an individual firefighter contribute? Well, wherever you come in, we can, with the research methods we have, we can get important information to help inform firefighters. So this comparison of the incumbents and new recruits really identified these epigenetic changes, these switches, as Derek uh, had described, that put you at increased cancer risk. We identified them and we're seeing some of those same ones changing even over the first two years of firefighting. So uh, it's it's going to be really important to continue to follow those firefighters even much longer. That's why this FFCCS, the Firefighter Cancer Cohort Study, is designed to go on for 30 years, and we're really just starting now. Derek and I were talking on the phone just prior to this podcast, and he brought something up that I found fascinating, and I can hear you guys talking about it, but I want to see if I can restate it so I understand this aspect of the cohort study. We obviously all know that the exposures on a fire ground, whatever that looks like, are bad. And like you stated, Derek, we can't reduce that to zero, even though we can do things that have positive impacts. And it's great to have that data that if the engineer on the panel wears his SCBA, he reduces his exposure by 40%. That's great data, and that's very helpful, and we should take action on that. But not being able to take that down to zero, then I hear what you guys are talking about is you're looking at, okay, well, what happens why do those changes start to happen? 
And then as you guys are doing this study, are you finding things? I'm sure you're searching for things, but have you found things that we can do in that in-between time where there is that latency period if you are going to get cancer on down the road? I'm sure that's the direction you'd like this study to go. Have you guys come up with anything on that yet? You know, they, um, we're still in the first phases of the study to understand how the exposures, in this case, lead to cancer. Then they can cause other health conditions too, reproductive conditions that maybe we can talk about later. Um, but, you know, the, first we need to know how things work, and then we can figure out what to do about it. There are some treatments now uh, for certain types of these epigenetic changes, turning these you know, gene expression on and off, that are used for other health conditions, and they're approved by FDA. We're a long way from being able to do that for firefighters, but long term, we'd like to be able to figure out if you have a certain type of change, this is what you can do, right, to help reverse it. So we, But we can't get there until we fully understand kind of the steps and then how, how to treat it. Um, one of our colleagues from Boston likened this to a Framingham study for firefighter cancer. So I, I think it's a great example. And I get, again, I love working with firefighters uh, for many reasons, but one is kind of this ability to like put an idea forward really clearly and explain it. So the Framingham study started, I think, back in the 40s. And at that time, American men were dying of heart attacks, but we didn't know what, how. We didn't know what was causing it, and we didn't know what to do about it. But through following people forward over time in a prospective cohort study, just like the FFCCS, we learned about the role of things like cholesterol and what level of cholesterol is bad and what you can do to treat it and aspirin and all sorts of other things like that. So it's the same idea. You know, you start, you understand the process, you figure out how to treat it. So, Noel, I'm not sure if that answered your question fully, but I think that's the kind of the way I think about these markers. Yeah, absolutely. And it sounds like as this continues on, there is the potential for there to be some really exciting discoveries and new things that guys can do to just live better, healthier lives long term as we do continue to do this job that, you know, we all see as a calling and is obviously something we're going to continue doing. So I love that. Have you guys had any kind of difficulty getting departments to participate in the cohort study? And then as a follow-on to that, how can departments get involved if they're interested? I think insofar as the motivation aspect, there's a lot of departments very eager to participate. You know, like when when we started off with LA County, you know, we had this original goal of of enrolling X number of 100 firefighters, and we got an overwhelming response. I mean, way over that. I, I during the enrollment process, I had to call Jeff several times to apologize to let him know, like, hey, we're we're going through test tubes a lot faster than than we anticipated. And actually, Jeff went above and beyond and flew from Arizona. Uh, University of Arizona out here to Los Angeles to bring us more equipment so that we could enroll more people. That's how overwhelming the 
response to a request for study participants was. And I think we see that across the country. But one of the things that I think sometimes is the limiting factor is is funding, right? Like there's there's this constant process of applying for grants, uh, getting those grants awarded. And, and th- that's not a simple or short process. It's a months long thing and it's a continuous thing. And Jeff, correct me if I'm wrong here. So it's, it's not so much that we have difficulty getting firefighters to want to participate. It's, you know, this continuous flow of funding that needs to be developed to keep the study going to do the next step. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the, the limiting factor is funding. And so that's what we do as academics is write grant proposals, try to get projects funded so we can continue to expand it. Um, the fire departments have been great. Um, there's a lot more interest than we have funding to bring people in. We always look for ways to use our money as judiciously as possible to do uh, to enroll even more people. So one example, for example, with uh, for uh, L.A. County, actually, the firefighters themselves have taken the human subjects training and we, they, they've learned how to collect the specimens, how to administer the surveys. So they can now, you know, uh, they can enroll people, they can collect biological samples and we just um, ship them the supplies to be able to do it. Whereas other fire departments, you know, with smaller numbers of individuals in a study, you know, we'll go out there in the teams and enroll people. Um, so that has allowed us to, to do, to bring a lot more people from LA County into the study than we might otherwise have done. Um, some other fire departments are kind of taking that, that same approach too. But by and large, again, the fire departments have been great. They've really been supportive. For the women's study in particular, I think we probably are, are getting well above 20 fire departments across the country that are participating for us. So that's the largest yet for any single group of these FEMA studies. I tried to coin the term firefighter research assistant, right? Because with anything in the fire service, like when we see a problem, we're going to go and we're going to solve it, right? And we're going to keep at it until it's solved, right? You, you never give up. And, and that's one of the things that's so great about the framework of this study is that, um, one, firefighters can participate and actually get in the field research done. But two, it's not just like a fund to participate. It saves money, right? So that other research activities can happen. And that's one of the things that's just been so cool about the firefighter cancer cohort study is this model of like, you know, firefighter, uh, quote unquote, research assistance, if that's okay to say, Jeff. <laughs> um, we get to make it happen, right? Because if, if we don't participate in this work, in this research work, if we don't put in the hard work Nobody else is going to do it for us, and and we're never going to manage to to make any progress. You know, Jeff was was mentioning that, like, you know, insofar as looking at these biomarkers of effect, we're at the very beginning of of figuring out, you know, what to do here. Um, but the analogy is like throwing a thirty five foot extension ladder, right? Like the goal is to 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 get it up to that window. And, and climb into that window. But before you do that, you've got to go through the steps of raising that ladder. And, you know, that's some hard work and it takes some time. My next question was going to be, how could we help? But you've already detailed that. And I, I love that there's guys out there that are on the ground and helping you out by doing that little bit of cost savings. And I would imagine even also helping getting some more buy-in from guys, because if it's your own guys doing the doing the collection and stuff, I think that would probably create a more friendly environment for guys to be willing to be a part of it. So that's really cool that you're able to do that. Yeah. No, you know, Jeff and his research team, they're unbelievable professionals and I've always really enjoyed working with them. But you make a good point that 
you know, sometimes any of us are apprehensive about, you know, participating in a research study or just, you know, sometimes people don't want to think about or address cancer because it's, it's just a tough subject. And when we get to do it, you know, heart to heart, badge to badge, it, it really makes things a lot easier. You guys have both mentioned reproductive health in this conversation, and I was probably not paying attention, but when I was a little bit earlier in my career, I just remember cancer being talked about as just one umbrella term, just cancer. But I have noticed that over the last few years, I've been hearing more about the reproductive side of that. Can you guys go into that a little bit more? Sure. The you know, I, We actually, in this situation, know more about reproductive effects on women firefighters than male firefighters, which is interesting because usually it's the other way around. All the information we have is about male firefighters. You know, for example, cancer risk, we know much more about male firefighters than uh, women firefighters. But for the studies that have been in, done there, and we really have to thank Dr. Sarah Janke, who does some wonder, has, does wonderful research on a variety of topics. Uh, she has found that women firefighters, for example, have higher miscarriage rates than uh, women who are not firefighters. I believe she's also found that that women firefighters are are reporting uh, uh, more use of fertility treatments as well. Although I need to check with her on that. Um, what I do know for sure is we've we've used a marker of what we call ovarian reserve, which is the number of oocytes or eggs a woman still has in her ovaries. And we this marker is called anti-mullerian hormone or AMH, and you can measure it in the blood. Uh, and we've been doing that. And what we found are that the AMH levels for women firefighters are lower, meaning that there's fewer oocytes left as compared to uh, women who aren't firefighters. So this is something we want to learn more about, but you know we're we're using the firefighter cancer cohort study to be able to collect these samples and analyze them. So those are all uh, examples of reproductive outcomes in women firefighters. In male firefighters, again, there have been some studies out there, but not many. There have been some on birth defects, which have been kind of some so that they have shown an effect. Some haven't. But there's, we're hearing a lot from the firefighters having kids with things like um, spectrum disorders, you know, so autism or other things uh, as well. And it, it is certainly possible that the exposures firefighters are having are leading to these effects. But we need research to figure out, you know, if that's happening and if so, the extent to which is happening. And we can... We have been using the firefighter cancer cord study to look at the women firefighters and reproductive outcomes. This is something we'd like to do with the male firefighters as well. We just uh, need to get a FEMA project funded to be able to do this. Yeah. So, so when it comes to to male reproductive health, uh, I think this is something a lot of firefighters don't have a lot of visibility on. Uh, but we talk about it a fair amount, right? In so far as uh, those of us who've had children born with illnesses, or friends and colleagues who have had children born with illnesses. So when you look at male cigarette smokers, there's research that's been done that shows that there's changes in DNA methylation in the sperm of those smokers. And some of the research that's been done up to this point has shown that there's you know, the possibility of those epigenetic changes 
uh, resulting from cigarette smoke exposure, you know, being passed along to the offspring. Now, cigarette smoke exposures and firefighting exposures aren't identical, obviously, but there's overlap there. So it's not unreasonable to ask the question whether or not exposures that we as male firefighters suffer in the line of duty can have a reproductive impact because we do see that in research that's been done with smokers. And and I'll let Jeff elaborate on, on some of the work that's being done by some great researchers like Tim Jenkins. Yeah, so we are a collective of fire departments and universities that all work together, and everybody has their own particular expertise. So we've been working with Dr. Tim Jenkins at BYU because he is an expert on epigenetic changes, and his particular area of study uh, is epigenetic changes in sperm as men age. And the older you get, the more changes you get and the more likely you are to have a child with some issue after birth. So it could be spectrum disorder, you know, it, it could be uh, birth defects, uh, other things. So he is working with us to figure out how to look at this issue in firefighters. So he's been working with both Derek and Jeff Hughes from the Orange County Fire Authority, and they're figuring out how to bring people within the umbrella of the FFCCS, the Firefighter Cancer Court Study, to be able to look at this outcome. And that's something we hope to be able to do in this uh, on this coming year of 2022. Yeah, and and just to to cap that off, uh, like when we talked at the very beginning about what was so special about the Cancer Cohort Study insofar as them listening to the questions that the fire service brings to the table. This is one that the fire service brought to the table. Um, my son was born with with health problems, as as uh, we've talked about in the past, Noel. And this was a concern of mine. And, and a number of my close friends and colleagues on the job have had children born with, with health problems. And we fight fires without hesitation, right? We suffer the exposures that come with that without hesitation because that's our duty. But when it comes to the impact on our children, on our families, that's different, right? That's something that we need to learn about, something that we need to know about. And and it's not as simple as just accepting that, hey, uh, I'm being exposed to this stuff when, when there's the possibility that it could impact our families as well. And that's something that we really need to learn more about. Yeah, that's going to change for a lot of guys. I know that's going to change the level of seriousness that they give this topic because we do have a culture oftentimes that does just kind of blow a lot of that off. And, you know, you just accept it as a risk and it doesn't affect you right now, and so you just kind of drive on, but it definitely changes the way that conversation feels when you're looking at, okay, this might actually affect my children. I mean, that that does change it dramatically. That could be a big driver in changing our culture. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of other things that have to go into that, but I think that's going to be an area of your research that's going to be very impactful. Yeah, kind of just to summarize that one, right? When it comes to what we do, the exposures that we suffer affect our DNA, to put it simply, right? Genetic or epigenetic changes. And that's not just us. That there's, there's the very real possibility that there's a reproductive impact there. So if we can do whatever we can to limit those exposures so that that DNA doesn't get damaged, then, then hopefully we make an impact. Awesome. Well, we are probably getting close to wrapping this thing up. Do you guys have anything else you really want to touch on before I ask one last question? 
I just want to make sure that we in the fire service say uh, thank you to, to Jeff and his colleagues for all that they do for us. Because with all the motivation that we have, we really couldn't do anything with it without those academic research partners who um, <laughs> take those test tubes and cups full of urine that we collect and and then and then do the the good science with it. So so thank you, Jeff, and and everybody that works with you. Well, and it goes two ways. This is a a cooperative venture. We call it you know community engaged research and. We wouldn't be able to do these studies without our fire service partners and without all the firefighters who volunteer to participate in these studies, to provide samples, to answer questions on these uh, electronic surveys. Uh, so I just really appreciate the opportunity to work with firefighters. You guys are out there protecting us. You know, it's really our duty to help answer the questions you have so that you can make the best decisions possible about how to do your work safely. Awesome. I would like to tag on what Derek said too, and just say thank you because as a firefighter, you know, we know that this kind of thing is happening, that there are people studying this stuff, but it's kind of a abstract thing. And you, you might read something in firehouse or whatever, and you know, you hear things, you get information that way, but to see and actually get to put a face to that and to, to meet you is encouraging. And it's awesome that you're out there. I know you're just one of many, but I really do appreciate the fact that you're working hard on this. And I think it's exciting what you guys are looking into. I look forward to hearing more about what you, what you discover and and where that takes you. And I really appreciate both of your time. This has been good. Thanks, Noel. This has been the IAFF podcast. This program has been sponsored by the IAFF Financial Corporation. For more information on who we are and what services are available to members, including our supplemental cancer benefits, visit our website at iff-fc.com.